This afternoon we'll open the Word of God to Philippians chapter 1, and we begin at the second part of verse 18, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ may be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in, my, in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only... Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God." For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain 
or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So far, the word of God. And we confess this afternoon, Lord's Day 22 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 22. And there we confess the last two articles of the Apostles' Creed. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. So far, our confession. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ and boys and girls who belong to him, Lord's Day 22 begins by asking about our comfort. Both questions ask about our comfort. And that word comfort is also used in Lord's Day 1. What is your only comfort in life and death? And Lord's Day 19, what comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? Comfort. Notice that the Catechism asks about comfort, especially in connection with what happens after this life. That's the case in Lord's Day 1 and also in Lord's Day 19, but so also Lord's Day 22. The comfort is in what happens after this life. And that's held up as a comfort over against everything that happens in this life. You need comfort. Is this life really that bad? We see and experience a lot of beautiful things, right? Health, in the company of friends, marriage, family, things that can be enjoyed, right? You can enjoy food and drink and birthdays and work and vacation and so on, nature. If, if it would be quite thankless of us if we didn't enjoy the, the gifts God gives us in this life, wouldn't it? However, through all this, there is also, it's largely mixed with sorrow, a measure of sorrow. Because we all, all of us, at one time or another, we deal with sickness, pain, broken relationships, tensions that come up in home and family life, also in church life, infirmity, and ultimately, at the end of it all, there's death. And for Christians, there's also the struggle to keep the faith. That, that's, that was especially difficult in the days when the catechism was written. It was a time of persecution for a lot of people who wanted to keep the Reformed faith. And congregation, if you really think this through a little bit, for Christians today, there's even more to be grieved about. You're saddened by the rejection of God in our society, I'm sure. How God and his goodwill are despised and mocked. And then we have to think of how everyday babies are, are killed in the, the mother's womb. 
daily in our country. Think of the greed which drives so many to gamble every day. Or how sexual immorality isn't just tolerated, but it's celebrated with pride. If you watch or listen to the news, you see a lot of murder, deceit, godlessness, day after day. And then it's no wonder that Psalm 7 says that God is a righteous judge who has indignation every day as he looks down here on earth. And that, that's something that should cause his people indignation and sorrow too. All that goes on here. But no need to be just grieved by what goes on out there in the world. Think about the remaining sins in your own life. In particular, then, the sins of the heart, your own sinful desires and lusts, your covetousness, your pride, and so on. The apostle Paul describes his fight against the sinful nature, Romans 7, and he, he cries out at the end of that chapter, wretched man that I am. He's terribly upset at how he offends God with his daily sins and shortcomings. And what a battle it is for him. And the thing is, the closer you live to God, the sharper your sorrow is about how God is offended also by your sins and shortcomings. So actually, if you think about it, it's a beautiful thing that we can confess comfort with Lord's Day 22. Comfort. As believers, we need comfort. And it's clear that the main comfort we confess in this Lord's Day is that things are not going to stay the way they are now, folks. No, thankfully not. We confess in the first part of answer 57 that when our lives come to an end here, we'll immediately be with Christ. Wonderful to think about that. And in the second part of answer 57, we confess from the Bible that our bodies will be raised by Christ's power. It's wonderful to contemplate that. And finally, in answer 58, we confess perfect blessedness after this life. Imagine if you did not confess those three things from God's word. Just imagine that. Imagine you, that you believe that this life is all there is. This is it. Then you'd truly be hopeless and you would wonder too, what is the use of living, really? The Apostle Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 15, that if Christ was not raised from the dead and we have hope for this life only, we are most to be pitied. Do we experience that too, congregation? That without Christ and his resurrection and his return, our lives would be pretty pitiful? So I preach to you the word of God as we confess that Lord's Day 22 about our glorious comfort. First, our souls go to Christ. Secondly, our bodies will be glorified like Christ. And thirdly, our perfect joy is in Christ. So first, our souls go to Christ. So the first comfort we confess in Lord's Day 22 is that my soul after this life will immediately be taken up to Christ my head. My soul. In short, that's my, my person, my personality, my thoughts, feelings, 
convictions, who I am, that soul will at the moment of death leave my body and go to Christ, my head. Notice that we don't confess here that our souls go to heaven. That, that's the place where the souls of those who are in Christ go. But the, the essence of heaven is Christ. Soul goes to Christ, my head. Our souls will be where he is, with him. I don't know how that will be. Some have thought of temporary body for, for each soul, but that's where my person, my personality, my thoughts, feelings, and convictions will be with Christ. And that's why the Apostle Paul writes in that passage we read from Philippians that though he would love to remain in this life in order to be working there for the believers in Philippi, his desire is to be with Christ. Depart from this life and be with Christ, the head of believers, the bridegroom of the church. A body wants to be connected to its head. The bride desires to be with the bridegroom. A bride who doesn't live with the bridegroom isn't normal, but after this life, that will change in an, in an instant. The bride with the bridegroom. And it's, it's wonderful for the bride here on earth to have contact with the bridegroom in heaven on Sundays through the proclamation of the word and through the visible administration of the sacraments. But that contact here has its limitations too, of course. Those means of contact can bring us close to our Lord, but we can sometimes be told, taken up with other thoughts and feelings even as we sit here that the contact is restricted and we're not with the Lord when we're here, really. The communion with Christ is wonderful, but also still so, so vulnerable because of our limitations. But immediately after this life, that contact with Christ will be full, direct for those who die in Christ. Then you'll be with Him. You'll see Him as He is. And that'll bring perfect peace and joy to you. Then the contact with your Savior who so loved you that He gave Himself up for you will not be assailed by struggles and doubts anymore, but it'll be complete. It won't go up and down, but it will always be full contact. You'd like it to be that, like that now, but you'll never get there in this life, of course. Somebody has compared it, and I've used this example before, compared it to a husband who is allowed to visit his wife in prison for an hour every day. She's in prison for whatever. He's allowed to visit her every day for an hour. And that wife would love to hold her husband to feel his arms around her, but there's a wall of glass between them in the, the visitation room. And they can only talk by phone. The contact isn't full, it's not complete. So she longs for the day when she will be released from the jail, the, the door will, of the jail will open, and she'll completely and fully be with her husband, her bridegroom. 
And see, it's with something that, like that in mind and heart that the apostle writes in Philippians that his desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And, and that's a great comfort in this life, isn't it? If we also can say that in this life we can enjoy things, but we also sometimes have that desire, as Paul had, to be with Christ. Then I'll be delivered from all the pain and misery and defects and the, and the shortcomings there are in this life and I have in this life. But at the same time, if I think of my task here in this life and my connections here, then I'd also love to stay in order to be fruitful here. And then I can leave the moment. If I believe that, then I can leave the moment that I leave this life to my Lord and head. He knows the right time to take me to himself. I don't have to decide that, as a lot of people want to decide that for themselves today. What a moment that'll be. Immediately after this life, at the, the second of my last breath, right at the final beat of my heart, with my Lord. So, so when my family breaks out in tears here, at my bedside, I'll be joyful with Christ. While the funeral is taking place and people are grieving at the gravesite, I'll be happy in the presence of my Lord. While my body is being lowered into the earth to return to dust, I'll be praising my Savior. If you think that about that, that can be a, a huge comfort to those I leave behind too. In their sorrow, they can find comfort in the knowledge that I wouldn't even want to return to this life anymore now that I'm with Christ. And what a comfort for all of us as we think about then when, when it's our time to leave this life too. Perfect, full contact with my Savior. I'll be with Him. And what a wonder it will be to be with Him. We come to the second part. Our bodies will be glorified like Christ's. Eternal glory. That's one aspect of our comfort as we look beyond this life. Then there's another piece of that comfort, namely that also this, my flesh will be raised by the power of Christ and reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorified body. This body of mine this body, raised and made like Christ's glorious body. Maybe I'm not, maybe someone isn't full grown yet, but they're mortal, maybe unborn yet, newborn, possibly weak, maybe weakened or in pain because of age or sickness. Your body, though, as you sit here, with all its abilities and disabilities, your body which is at this time yet a playground for your sinful nature, which you have not mastered yet. My eyes, my ears, my mouth, my hands, which still too often do what God has forbidden, will be raised and made like Christ's glorified body. Raised to life again, full life. My remains will be reanimated 
even if they've completely returned to dust and been scattered all over. From the earth, from the bottom of the sea, from the ashes of a fire, my body will be remade to be full and mature and like Christ's body after he rose from the, from the grave and reappeared to his disciples. Unborn babies, little children, handicapped people, elderly people, their bodies will be mature and complete and glorified, perfectly able to serve God. Spiritual bodies, Paul writes. That means bodies completely free of sin and all the effects of sin, such as aging, sickness, pain, with glorified body and soul together, we'll be able to serve and praise God perfectly in the new heavens and on the new earth. There will be no marriage anymore because no one needs to be born anymore. All God's children who we wanted with Him, who we already chose before creation, before anyone existed, will be with Him there. And that that thinking about that resurrection can leave you with a lot of questions, can't it? Will we recognize one another when we're in glory? The Bible doesn't really spend a time on that. It does tell us we'll see and recognize Jesus. So that's the main thing. That's the heart of it all. That we'll see our Savior be with Him. And maybe we'll recognize each other here, there too. God created us to know each other. Think of how Peter, James, and John recognized Moses and Elijah on that day with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They knew Moses and Elijah. Peter said it. But then someone might ask, what if I don't see someone on the new earth who I love dearly here? Wouldn't that take something away from my joy of being there? No, brothers and sisters, we'll be so much in agreement with God in his righteousness, so in harmony with all his deeds and his judgments that all we can do is glorify him for all that he has done and planned. Unimaginable now, but that's how it'll be. And another question that's sometimes asked, will there be differences in glory between one and the other? Well, God will reward each one according to his or her works, he says. Someone who has suffered much here for the faith and who has endured persecution will receive then more glory than someone else who didn't have to deny himself uh, very much. Daniel says at the end of his book that some will shine like the brightness of the sky above while others will shine like the stars forever. But won't we become jealous of those who receive greater glory than us? Not at all, brothers and sisters. Not at all. Because the glory of each will be full. And we'll praise God for the glory that each gets. That each receives. You can think of large and small glasses. They'll all be full. Every glass. Whether large or small. Full to the brim. Perfect salvation and glory from God. Each unique. What a comfort to confess the resurrection of our bodies then too. What a comfort also for those who are suffering in their bodies, especially those who are suffering for their faith today, and maybe in North Korea or in Iran or so. 
as the Apostle Paul. He, he suffered a lot for the faith, if anyone did. He writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, So we do not lose heart. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And what he's saying then is this, keep to that hard, narrow road of faith. You'll never regret staying on it, sticking with it, sticking with your faith in the gospel and not compromising it. You will not regret it for the end of that journey, however hard it may become to get there, is your glory, eternal glory, body and soul. And the alternative is eternal sorrow and pain for which there is never any comfort, never any relief. So let's listen to the exhortation at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12 where it says in that letter, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God follow him we come to the third part our perfect joy is in Christ. So the third aspect of the comfort that we confess in Lord's Day 22 is found in our faith in the life everlasting. The second question and answer. What is your comfort in that? Everlasting. That means two things. It means without end, endless. In other words, time stands still time ceases to exist it's not as if the hands on the clock keep going round and round forever and ever no it's like the clock strikes 12 and it's there forever nothing becomes older or declines nothing becomes out of date it remains forever and the second meaning of everlasting concerns the quality of that life it's it's life that is from, to, and for God alone. He is all in all. It's a life of eternal joy in God, in who He is, and in all He has done and still does. And it says, answer 58, that I, I now already feel in my heart the beginning of that joy, that eternal joy in my heart. And then you can think of a plant, a flower. A flowering plant. The beginning of the full flower is always just a little wee tiny bud. And that bud may be small and even ugly now. But in the future, that plant, if it continues to grow, will blossom. There will be full, beautiful flower. And that's something like how it is with the beginning of eternal joy growing to that fullness of joy it starts small but it grows 
Start small, like a small, frail bud on a stem. That's how your joy in God can still be, can't it? Small. So easily muted by all uh, the doubts and weaknesses and sins and apathy in life. But to take the imagery farther, that little bud representing the beginning of eternal joy grows on a stem, which represents faith. If that stem of faith is alive, if it's rooted in the gospel, then that bud will certainly grow and continue to grow. Yes, if that stem dries up, the bud dies too. It'll never become a flower. But if if that stem is healthy and firmly rooted, then the bud will eventually become full, will blossom. It'll grow until it's ready to unfold as a beautiful flower. And that'll take place then That fullness will take place when the Lord Jesus comes back to judge the living and the dead and to make everything new. Then our joy will be complete, full. Then what was still in bud here in this life will blossom in all its fullness. And whoever has that beginning of joy in his or her heart here in this life will then have full joy because of the blessedness they experience in the life everlasting. Doesn't that, if you, if you think that over, doesn't that make you long for the return of the Lord when the fullness of his kingdom comes and he will be all in all and our joy will be full, unimpeded by anything here or in us? All those who believed in Christ's salvation will see the end of all pain and suffering and sorrow and will possess perfect blessedness Does the longing to experience that live in your heart? That's that beginning of joy. Oh, sure. It'll be like the longing of the Apostle Paul who was hard-pressed between the desire to be with Christ and the desire to continue with his task for the Lord here. There's lots of good to do and beauty to see in this life too, and that's okay. But we need to watch out that we don't get so swallowed up by this life and what it still has to offer, that we lose sight of what we confess in Lord's Day 22 about the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We need to make sure that we don't spend the vast majority of our time desiring or acquiring all the things held out to us in ads and commercials and stores and dealerships. Remember that those things are temporary. They'll ultimately disappear. No, let's struggle to keep our hearts and minds set on that perfect blessedness that will become manifest when the Lord Jesus comes back. That fullness of joy. And it'll be perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived. Our catechism there quotes from 1 Corinthians 2. In other words, it'll be like a massive surprise. We'll be flabbergasted. Like when a father promises a surprise for his children and then brings home something they never expected or imagined, so our Father in Christ will surprise us with a blessedness we could never have conceived of in our minds when he brings us into his eternal kingdom. What a glorious day that'll be. And then you'll be able to praise God perfectly forever. 
God the Father who chose you before the foundation of the earth already and who led you through life with his fatherly providence and goodness. And God the Son, you'll praise him who bought, bought you with his precious blood and kept you through his intercession for you. And God the Holy Spirit who caused you to be born anew, who renewed you day by day, helped you persevere in your faith so that you could enter that everlasting joy. You'll praise and glorify God in all that he has done for you and all those who are there with you will glorify him with you. You'll see the fullness of his work. No questions anymore. You'll see the fullness of all he has done. And you know, you'll never get finished giving him praise for that to eternity. Amen.